Welcome to the Dead Elephants podcast featuring Duncan and Chris. Looks like it's time to tackle another elephant in the room. Welcome back. Another week, another podcast, Dead Elephants. I'm Duncan. I'm Chris. And this week we're talking about, I feel like it's the topic of the moment, but deconstruction. I think it's been... It's it's been in Christian circles circling for probably near on a decade and mm-hmm. it's probably well worth talking about. Well, what's interesting is that I had always thought this word was positive. You know, we, we should deconstruct, we should challenge yes. it. And I said something in an episode and you you pushed back on me and said, I don't like the phrase deconstructionism. And, and that really surprised me because I suppose, you know, you don't mind a bit of a rogue soapbox once in a while, but it, it, it felt like quite a conservative thing to say. And so that that really sparked my thinking of, well, what is deconstruction? How is it helpful? How is it unhelpful? And you said something like, if we do, the problem I have with deconstruction is that it takes us away from the feet of Jesus. Is that is that what you said? Uh, yeah. Well, so, uh, so let me let me frame it up because I, there's a whole bunch of different de- definitions for de- deconstruction. So you know, sociological, theological, um, ideological deconstruction. So. So when I was talking, I was talking about a specific kind of Christian viewpoint on deconstruction whereby we can de- deconstruct our faith past the point of God. Okay. And let's, that's why I don't like it. Okay, let's let's pause on that because I think there's two things there. Which is where we get exvangelicals yep. and all that kind of movement away from the church. Well, first of all, what is deconstructionism? Okay, so so it's uh, French philosopher Jacques Derrida. Sure, he comes up with the idea of deconstruction. Uh, Kevin Van Hooser kind of then adopts some kind of a frame. You're just making up names. No, I'm not. I'm just, I got an article here. <laughs> He's got an article. Yeah. So he, I'll, I'll read. Uh, uh, Kevin Van Hooser talking on Derrida. Tell us. Okay. The motive behind Derrida's strategy of undoing. This okay. is deconstruction. Right. Deconstruction and undoing. Helpful. Okay. Yep. Stems from his alarm of illegitimate appeals to authority and exercises of power. Mm-hmm. The belief that one has reached the single correct meaning of God and truth provides a wonderful excuse for damning those whom one disagrees as either fools or heretics. Mm-hmm. Neither priests who supposedly speak for God nor philosophers who supposedly speak for reason should be trusted. This logocentric claim to speak from a privileged perspective, e.g. reason, the word of God, is a bluff um, that must be called or better deconstructed. Okay. So there is a framework whereby we find uh, disillusion with uh Theological uh, uh, systems, mm. authority, authority, and that is often where we find people who have had uh, really sad experiences with the church, then deconstruct their faith mm. and become exvangelicals. Yep. Um, and that's why I feel like we we should probably talk about it. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, how much more so? We've spoken about you know everything that's happening with Hillsong. Yep. Insert Ravi Zacharias. Insert like and, and even more broadly, just the general cultural feeling towards institution. Yeah. Is is as low as I remember it being in my lifetime, and so it it doesn't surprise me. And yet, as a pastor, it it grieves me 
Like if there are things that need to be called out and there are abuses of power, man, Do 100% it. like Call it shine out. a light on it. How do you differentiate what you've experienced from institution and what you know of Christ so that your faith can come through the other end? Oof. Okay, that's a big one to unpack. Uh, so I think there's a healthiness to deconstruction. So let's okay. – we're going to build a positivity sandwich. Mm-hmm. Um, Within the church? Are you yeah. talking or just generally? So, so the idea of having a healthy, inquisitive spirit mm-hmm. – about your faith is a good thing. Why? Why do we do it that way? Can I get my head around what you mean by that? Um, I'm not necessarily sure if I agree because I think there's another perspective. This entire podcast is hopefully predicated on two people having differing opinions that can find a common space where we can enjoy the love of Jesus, right? Yep. So so what we're trying to say is even with this very podcast, could we expand the pitch and say that we have opposing viewpoints but we still share Christ in common, okay? That inquisitive spirit is really healthy. And I think that's probably one of the things that, that, you know, the French philosopher Jacques Derrida is getting at is we should be inquisitive. And just slide it, why? Why should we be inquisitive? Because why is that a good thing? authority without accountability is toxic. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> Full stop. Yep. Uh, I don't think, I think the, that, that we've seen that throughout history is that an unchecked church without accountability turns toxic mm-hmm. over and over and over and over again. And I think that's probably what we're getting from a philosophical perspective with deconstruction. And so, yeah, be inquisitive about your faith. Here's the other side is that um, uh, the church is the bride of Christ, but unfortunately that bride of Christ needs to be redeemed. There's an Old Testament book where a prophet marries a prostitute. Mm, Hosea. Mm. And that is a representation of Yahweh and his relationship with Israel. It's the same redemptive narrative of Jesus with his church. Mm. So when um, Tony Campolo says um, the church is a prostitute and she is my mum, what he's referencing is Hosea and the broken nature of church. Mm-hmm. We love her because she is our mum, mm. but she is desperately broken. And the only soul who can redeem her is Jesus. Okay? okay. That's that's Hosea in a nutshell. So it's not unusual to find that a church turns toxic. Yeah. Or you have out you have brokenness within a church. That's that's just the nature of sin, and that's why we need Jesus. Um, and that's why there should be some kind of healthy accountability within the church. But you, you just there's no perfect church. Mm. Like you and I, we, we both have been pastors. We've seen behind the curtain. We know we're pastors. Yep. We're broken, fallen people who are in need of the love of Jesus. And we do not sit in some kind of divine authority where we have the be and all and an end all knowledge of everything. What we do have is this very... Um, subtle but important spiritual authority which by 
we are judged more harshly. So that position of humility should come from underneath, like leading up as opposed to leading down. But it sounds, I I completely agree with you, but it sounds like it's when leaders lose that perspective that you've just given. Which happens all the time. And they start drinking their own Kool-Aid and going, I'm God's gift to humanity. Yes. That's when it starts coming undone. Yes. And and that's where I think there's a healthy side of deconstruction. Mm. Okay. I think what we see is a conglomeration of deconstruction, unhinging discipleship mm-hmm. for our relationship with Jesus. Deconstruction, unhinging discipleship. Yes. Go, go on. Okay, so so I, I have this argument at church. We can't be prayerful until we understand Sabbath because we've got no margins in our life. So how could you be more prayerful if you have no space for more prayer? Mm-hmm. So you have to lose a bunch of stuff before you could add in prayer. For us to be in healthy relationship and discipleship, you know, a, a Christ-centered model for discipleship, then we have to understand deconstruction because that's the thing that's stopping healthy discipleship, okay? And there's two forms, and this is a John Mark Coma thing, for deconstruction. That is an internal deconstruction. Think of a Venn diagram with three circles. The top circle is digital input and low scripture. Most of us would have high digital input, low scripture. Mm -hmm. The second concentric circle, the second circle that overlaps in the Venn diagram is a wounded heart. Because of mindfulness, because of mental health, we are all aware of our wound. It's it's a daddy issue, it's a mummy issue, it's a it's a wifey issue. It's a whole bunch of different issues, right? So we've got a wounded heart. Um that's the next circle. The final circle is a lack of fear of God. Mm. He's not the cake. He's the cherry on top. Mm. He's the afterthought. Mm. And if I don't like the cherry, I just pop it off the cake. So we're just we're lacking a fear of God. Now, when that happens, you get an internal deconstruction. Because the end result is there's 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 very little reason to hold on to your faith if that's what you're yeah. believing. If there's a small God, the institution sucks and I'm hurting, I'm just going to throw it in. Oh, we haven't even got that. That's external. Oh, okay. okay so, right. so this is all personal. Okay. Yeah, I, I'm not reading scripture. Every pastor says the same thing. Read your Bible yeah. more, be in prayer. Like it, it's the same narrative, and the reason is is because you've got high digital input, low scripture, a wounded heart, and a lack of a fear of God. And the end result is you're far more likely to give up your faith. Yeah, yeah. I don't need it anymore. Okay, so that's internal. <clears throat> yep. That then is partnered with, so we get this Category 5 cluster fluff, an external deconstruction, which is broken trust in spiritual leaders. Mm-hmm. Hillsong isn't as great as I thought it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ravi Zachariah isn't as great as I thought he was. Mark Driscoll isn't as great as he, I thought he was. Um, ascendant uh, secular ideologies mm-hmm. is the next circle. The world's got a better answer. Way better answer. So we don't tether ourselves to Yahweh through uh, Christ Jesus. We tether ourselves to a, to a worldly cultural perspective and therefore we sway back and forward. Mm-hmm. Um and then the last one is cheap grace, low discipleship. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm just a porn addict. Mm. That, and because of that, the blood of Jesus continues to save me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I got grace, and I can get it any time I want. Okay, but that's cheap grace. Mm. Whereas there, there's an ongoing sanctification of the heart that that should champion us more in love with Jesus each day. Um, making us aware of our sin, 
okay, and our desire to be more Christ-like, that, that's a more expensive grace because that requires sacrifice. And, by the way, on top of that, cheap grace and low discipleship, mm. which is I like all the good parts of discipleship. But when it comes to accountability, I don't want any part of that in my life. Yep. So that external deconstruction takes place. And what happens is this conglomeration of both of those two things. And everyone goes, there's no sense in going to church on a Sunday and there's no sense in spending any time with God. So I'm out. So and the question becomes, how do you deconstruct in a healthy way that you don't lose everything then? Great. Start with the notion that Jesus is king. Okay. This is interesting because uh, Derrida says that what well, what I'm hearing from that definition is there's a reluctance and an unreliability to authority, and any organisation that espouses authority ought to be uh, met with distance. Yeah, yeah. So what you're saying, I think, is that look past the authority, even of the church, dare I say, yep, and look to the head of the church, that is Christ. Start there. And then trickle down and discern from that starting point. Yes. Yeah. So so I call this a forensic faith audit. Okay. It's also what Churches of Christ have been doing for years. Ah, <laughs> uh, subtle plug. <laughs> if we start with just staring at Jesus mm. and all that he is, what are the, the least amount of components we can add to that mm-hmm. to form relationship? Mm-hmm. Okay. And I, why the least amount? What's what's the assumption behind that? Because what we do is we start to add in cultural hurdles mm-hmm. that in the moment are helpful, but as they start to season on into a um, into a new generation, become less helpful. Yep. Okay, so so Kelly used to have this idea of you know maybe the evangelical church needs to die. Is his thought isn't maybe Bible believing Christians need to die? Mm-hmm. He's like what he's saying is that the Lutheran Methodist style of church and its many facets may need to be deconstructed and reconstructed in a way that connects with community well, he, today. He would often, especially towards the end of his life, distance himself from the term evangelical and he would prefer the term orthodox Yeah, because evangelical started to connote quite a lot of things yeah. that were perhaps extra biblical. Yeah, and, and that's where – so um, – Oh, I forget what it called. You know when you, you you in an Anglican church read out a statement together. You know when they do a creeds, like yeah, sure. you know, I believe in God yep. the Father. So there's something healthy in affirming your theological perspective on something. Mm-hmm. Um, but the way that may be practiced today may feel dated and culturally inappropriate. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I mean, it's funny. Like even the prayer book itself yeah. was a hugely um, revolutionary text that my understanding incredibly helpful and incredibly needed for the day. Another, th- the King James Version of the Bible, amazing. Yeah. Amazing for the time. But we, we latch on to the King James Bible and say that's the version rather than look at what the heart behind that translation was trying to get to. Yeah. And and I guess that's that's part of our, our humanity is we turn things that were meant to be helpful into rules that are non-negotiable. I mean, it's, it's what the Pharisees did, yeah. right? Like there's there's part of us that always strives to do that and therefore deconstruction is helpful. You know, why are we doing that? Yeah. Is that a Jesus thing or is that just a cultural thing that we do for the sake of it? And I mean, I guess the, the poster boy for all of this in recent years has been Francis Chan. So 
Francis Chan's journey was one of megachurch pastor. Mm -hmm. And I remember when he was still at that church on a DVD in the building that they had built that he called the sanctuary. And he, and he kind of referred to it and he said, you know, should we have built this sanctuary? Maybe, maybe not. But my point is we didn't filter it through the lenses of scripture to make that decision. Yeah. It was just, that's what a church of our size is meant to do. Yeah. And he said that was wrong. So it wasn't, his problem was not the decision. His problem was the lack of method behind it. Now, subsequently he left that church and I can't remember the name of it, um, but he, he wrote a book called Basic. Cornerstone Simi Valley. Thank you. He wrote a book called Basic and the way that, and then letters to the churches following that. And, and his premise was, or the way he framed it up was, if you landed on a desert island and you'd never read the Bible and a Bible drops from the sky, what would you think church would look like? And how different would that church be to the church that you see before you? And and he he boils it right down, I suppose, in his deconstruction, which he became very famous for. And in his book, Basic, he says there are four main things that a church ought to do. Mm-hmm. Based, what does the Bible say about church? Yep. It says there's four things. There's teaching, there's prayer, there's fellowship, and there's the sacraments. Yep. And he says his argument is other than that, Sure, maybe build the sanctuary, maybe don't, but filter it through those four things and work out, is it helpful for those four? And if it's not, you scrap it. And if it is, you do it. Yeah, and I I think that's really helpful. I think people will probably get unstuck with the idea of sacraments. It surprised me when he put it in, but... Yeah, so I think think there's communion is an important sacrament. Mm -hmm. I think um, baptism is an important sacrament. Are they, are they the two that he specifically... Yeah, I mean, they're, they're the classic Protestant, yes. Okay. So the Catholic theology has seven sacraments. He's not speaking into that. He's speaking into the classic two yeah. Protestant sacraments of baptism and communion, as you say. So uh, can I just quickly touch on the Francis Chan? I think Francis Chan is a is a prophet and is never going to be comfortable in a traditional church. Mm-hmm. I think he's, he's meant to be the voice of the one calling in the wilderness, is that I, I think he's got a prophetic anointing upon his life and he's never going to comfortably fit into a church model. But you need prophets mm. to call out sin in church's life, mm. but they don't have a home, mm. okay? And I think that's Francis Chan's burden is he's going to be a prophet without a home and he's going to be invited to all these different places and he's going to do what he does best, this kind of truth in love, loving rebuke, but he's a prophet. Mm-hmm. What I what I need is a priest to give a modern framework for church because deconstruction sits as an antithesis to discipleship. If we're going to get a modern de- uh, discipleship, I don't think it's the prophet who forms it. I would say I that think deconstruction should lead to discipleship. Yeah, I don't think it's the antithesis of it. I think a healthy deconstruction, the, the goal of deconstruction is surely to get back to the foundation Yes. And then reconstruct again from there. Build from it. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Maybe you're right. So I, I think. But I, I think what you said about Chan is very interesting and I tend to agree with you. Yeah. You, you need people in house who are going to do this, not just people who are going to rattle the cage. Yeah. You need people to then be able to build on that rattling and, and build the walls again with the proper foundation. Like I, I remember sitting down with Alan Hirsch, who's, I don't know what you call him, he writes <laughs> books. Um, I think that's called an author, Duncan. Yeah, no, but he, he he's got a whole idea that 
Mike Frost also has around apostolic way and, and getting back to this kind of apostolic roots mm. of what the church is. I think the difference between the two is on some levels, and Mike, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Mike has a real aversion to mega church models, mm-hmm. whereas Alan Hirsch seems to be able to function in both mm. spaces pretty well, okay? And I think part of his idea, and they're both on this track, is is how do we redeem this to an apostolic way? Yep. Okay, um, Mike might say melt the whole thing down and start again. And yep. Alan says, well, no, they've got a lot of structures that may be helpful. Maybe we can redeem within that. Yeah, and I agree with that. I think it, the question cannot be mega church or micro church. It's just church, right? It's church. And, and is it meeting its stated goals? Yeah. And what are the stated goals? And so I think, yeah, we can oversimplify it and go, oh, Francis Chan's found the secret source or Rick Warren or, or Tim Keller. Like, look, you know, traditional church in New York City. Let's start a traditional church in Sydney. It's like, well, hang on a sec. First of all, there's a movement of the spirit there. Yeah. And it's, it's I think it's a mistake. And this is one of the things I think Keller did really well is he, the whole point of Redeemer City to City is not to prescribe a model it's to look at the virtues. Yeah. And then, I mean, what we're talking about is contextualization, taking what you know of your culture, applying principles, but it's not going to look the same across different places. For one place, a mega church will work beautifully. For another place, micro churches are necessary as long as it's meeting the stated goals. Yeah. I, I, dare I quote him, but he probably ripped it off from someone anyway. Um, Driscoll used to have that idea about you have a, like a movement that then becomes an organisation that then becomes something else and then becomes a mausoleum. Oh, a museum mausoleum. <clears throat> mm-hmm. So movements require shape and strategy and so eventually they hit a critical mass where they become an organisation. Yep. And when they become an organisation, they have system structures and stuff in place and once that extends out too far you get to a museum because mm. you're just trying to keep in place historic practices that don't really work anymore, yep. but we're just trying to maintain them. You don't know why you did them in the first place. No clue. Yep. And then if that gets bad <clears throat> enough, it becomes a mausoleum. Mm-hmm. You're just preserving dead things. Yep. And the goal is is somehow to bounce from organisation back to movement, yep. organisation back to movement. And I think de- if deconstruction is done healthily and starts with a place of Jesus mm. and you just go, everything's out. Mm-hmm. Except, except Jesus. Except Jesus. And if I just start with the notion of Jesus and I can get that through scripture, how much do I need to add mm. before I've added too much? Mm-hmm. And I think Francis Chan with his idea on basic has got it good. Mm. I think one of the challenges with an individual like that is he, he goes out and starts a house church model that has been successful for him, mm. but very few other people seem to have success with that. Mm. Like you, you need a charismatic individual who's powerful communicator who's um, singularly driven to do that. Yep. It's not a priest. It's a prophet. Mm -hmm. And so you get these prophetic moves that may sit kind of parachurch. I don't know if that's the right term, but they sit adjacent to Mm. a traditional church and everyone goes, this is the solution. But a lot of regular pastoral leaders are super – compassionate and caring and softly spoken, which are, by the way, also really incredible values mm. um, that need to be maintained and upheld. And they're just not going to 
yep. lead well from that <clears> perspective. They can't do what Francis Chan is doing. Yeah, and so that's where you go, well, you know, maybe there's a different expression of that. And that's where I think where this might be healthy is what do you add to it mm. to become the expression of church for your community? And then the next question that comes after Jesus and whatever it is that you frame up your church with is what's the biggest need of the community that I'm in right now <clears throat> and how is the church do we minister to that? Yeah, well, I was spot on. And I think there'll, there'll be more on this. I, I hopefully have a second book on this topic, shameless plug. Um Jesus says all the law and the prophets are summed up in, or all the law and the prophets hang on the two commandments of love God and love your neighbor. Yeah. So therefore the goal and the mission becomes pretty, pretty simple in a way, even dare I say offensively simple. And it means that you're going to have to take an audit. And this is where Christian communities struggle. You're going to have to take an audit of what is, what is ticking those boxes and more punctually, what is not, what are we going to continue? What are we going to rebirth? And what are we going to scrap? And there there has to be a level of focus there that says we're not just doing things for the sake of it. We're doing it and here's why and here's the rationale for it. Yeah. Um, that's that's on a church level though. Talk to me about the individual level. Well, um, it's, it's the same principle. But but what okay, what I'm, where I'm getting at is someone here is listening or you know someone in your life who is, has seen what's happened at Hillsong, has seen Ravi Zachariah. Like yeah, if, you the- wanna, if you want to give up your faith, now is a really easy chance to do it, right? Like there's a lot of reasons to be cynical about what has happened in Christianity in the last generation. Okay, so so number one, Scripture is filled with broken humans who do terrible things that God leverages to mm-hmm. bring forth his kingdom. Mm-hmm. David marries his best friend's wife and kills him on the front line. Mm-hmm. God still uses him after that incident to do good things. Mm-hmm. Spirit of God may not be upon him. Mm. There's consequences for his sin, but he's still redeemed by the blood of Jesus. And that's just like the the entire narrative scripture is filled with that. So like, we go back to our honor shame episode if you want to cross-reference. Oh, seriously. Yeah, like Noah finishes doing something extraordinary in an ark and then gets blind drunk naked. That's that's the, ne- the next scene after, what is it, 120 years of building an ark? He gets on the boat, spends 40 days and 40 nights at sea. He gets off and like we would all do, need to decompress. <laughs> he went too far in his decompression, got blind drunk and woke up naked. And mm-hmm. he's right. So it's just there's a whole series of humans that despite their flaws, God uses to do extraordinary things to the point of the King James Bible, an egotistical king mm. wants a Bible written with his name on it. His name is King James. And so he commissions someone to make a Bible with his name upon it. Jesus then says, all right, we're going to take that idiot and redeem that to something extraordinary. Mm -hmm. Beautiful moment. That still happens today. And so we have all these. uh, The problem is is that we ascend these leaderships, which is why um, Christian celebrityism needs to die Mm -hmm. a, a painful, horrible death because these are not ascendant humans. If you functionally start worshiping a human leader, yeah, <clears throat> and if that is where the hope of your faith is found, when that human leader falls, or even if they don't fall and they they die, that's the end of your faith because your faith hasn't been in Christ, but it's been in that person. Yeah. So, so there's a whole bunch to unpack, but mm. let's say you're within a system, you're at a church, 
Um, a leader who you love has fallen. Mm. The whole thing has fallen apart. Yes, there's a whole bunch of profound hurt associated with that. But that leader at some stage was calling you to live a life in Christ Jesus. Mm. So, you, so you have to get back to that perspective of if I'm to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength, then how do I get there? And I think for a lot of people, they're in deconstruction mode, right? Mm-hmm. They're not loving the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength because mm-hmm. they're cluttered by these cultural constructs. So some of us are in process of deconstruction, forensic faith audit, to get back to the feet of Jesus. And I think my argument for modern Christianity is the solution, hear me now, church leaders, is not a circle of chairs and milk arrowroot cookies and a painful sharing question and a prayer time that's forced at the end where you share about an uncle who no one really knows <laughs> that's just enough detached from you. It feels like a prayer request, but it really isn't you sharing honestly about who you are. Is awful. We, we should all, like, kill that small group. <laughs> right? Like, is that not fair? It's fair. A small group. I wouldn't have said it the same way, but I've, I've I know you exactly. You know the group. I know what you're saying. I know the group. I don't. I don't want to eat meatloaf ever again. <laughs> hey, you can listen. You, you can discredit no. arrowroots. Don't you dare discredit meatloaf. I will. Disgusting. My goodness, Mate, I, that's actually, the first meal they serve I've, I've in got hell. To, I've got to. T- <laughs> I've got to tell you a quick story. When I was in North Carolina, we would do potluck dinners for Bible study. Oh, so good. It was so good. And this guy, Clint, Clint, by the way, yeah. never met a guy called Clint in Australia. Clint came with a venison casserole. So said, Clint, this venison is delicious. Where'd you get it? Because I shut it out my bathroom window. Like, Man, we are not in Sydney anymore. He was literally on the toilet with his shotgun, spotted a deer out the window, oh picked it off, cooked the deer, brought it to Bible study. I thought, wow. Incredible. So where I'm going is, you know, don't don't poo-poo meatloaf, poo-poo arrowroots, that's fine. But what you what you had was a potluck meal, which is this expression of hospitality mm-hmm. where like Christians come together for a feast. Mm. That's healthy. Mm. One of so we moved to this monthly gathering for our young adults where I just have pizza and red wine at my house and there's you know there's a healthy conversation about God mm. in there but it's about fellowship over delicious food. Mm. It's an invitation into the house. I'll just come as you are. Bring the kids. Doesn't matter who it is. Like I'm not cleaning the house for you. So you, you see us in our natural habitat is that we throw up all these facades and we just sanitize like, <clears throat> it. A dear sister in my church said there's a there's a difference between hospitality and entertainment. Yeah. Often what we do is we try and entertain, but what we really need to do is just be hospitable. Yeah. If, if you can't have a small group with your washing mm. in the background and you're not sitting there praying while someone's undies are drying out behind <laughs> you, you're doing entertainment. You're not doing hospitality. Yeah, that's good. Hey, one specific question that I – that I'm thinking through at the moment, like when COVID hit Mm. and we had to all go online and I've shared before on other episodes, I naturally like to think innovatively. I was like, finally, you know, we're being forced into innovation. Yeah. We're going to have to, you know, church as we've known it is going to prove itself to be um, uh, valid or not, I suppose. And I came out of COVID going, actually, I think there's really something beautiful about the Sunday gathering. Yeah. 
So I came away going, actually, we're doing things well. We've been forced to deconstruct it because of COVID, but turns out these things are probably more than just cultural norms. However, this question is still lingering around digital church and in-person church. So I just didn't know if you had any thoughts on, in this deconstruction conversation, how our digital revolution post-COVID and going forward plays into how we think of church. Yeah, so Ed Stetzer had... Ed's done research on this stuff. You have this think in thirds. Mm-hmm. Um, so the most active third of your church is probably still actively involved in the church. Um, the least active third of your church has probably disappeared. Mm. And the middle activity of your church probably hasn't changed a whole bunch, which is where we get the 30 to 40% drop-off rate within the church. Mm. The thing then becomes around the idea of engagement. So, and this is where there's a kind of a tale of two cities within the church. So you're, let's say, over 55's community um, believes that maturity on some level hinges on attendance. Mm -hmm. So are they attending the Sunday gathering? But there's been a revolt against rostered servitude, which is what we've used in the church in the past. I just keep on rostering you on and then you've got no excuse to get off and go somewhere else, is that COVID nixed all of that. And so engagement now becomes a big thing. Are you under 55s engaged within the church? And that level of engagement has shifted from a once a week Sunday gathering. In, in fairness, you're... Your average attendee only attends church 2.2 times a month. That's dropped a little bit. Mm -hmm. But that's where we've got to figure out shape is engagement. Mm -hmm. And I've found a monthly pizza night. um, We use Lectio 365 for our Bible reading program, and that keeps everyone in sync. Um, People are listening to podcasts a bit more and listening to – watching well, sermons less, honestly. We've got hardly any engagement on sermons. But like this podcast is going well, mm. um, is that people are, are still in. I'm on it. <laughs> well, we all knew that. Work out what the difference yeah, is, Duncan. You're right, you're right, you're right. It, is that that's engagement. Mm. And your point, and I like that because your point is it's not about whether the gathering, as we've always known it, is done the same. It's about you're changing the horse and you're changing the cart. Yeah. The horse is not the Sunday gathering. The horse is engagement and discipleship and then the gathering. I, I still value the gathering. So do I. Yeah, but so- my point is why do you value the gathering? Is it because you've always done it or is it because it creates spiritual formation? Well, I said it, this, y- 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 spiritual formation is key, but I said on Sunday, um, think about the Sunday gathering as a note in a chord. Mm-hmm. If you just play one note, mm-hmm it can get real monotonous real quick. And if you just play the one note of Sunday, you're not really getting discipleship. You're not really getting fellowship. You're not really getting engagement. But we like to think that that's the measure of everything. Mm. Okay. What you have to do is add two extra notes in to make a chord. Mm -hmm. And so what are those two extra notes? And so we go, oh, it's Bible study. No. If it's circular chairs and milk arrowroot cookies, no, it's not. It, it, it's, Life on life, iron sharpens iron, investment in one another, which which requires authenticity and trust. Mm. 
So can I be honest and open with this individual and share my life together? Like Jesus, when he calls the disciples along the water, he picks fishermen. He's calling them to something. I'm, mm-hmm. I am going to make you fishers of men. Mm-hmm. He doesn't say you are now fishers of men. Mm-hmm. So he sees what the potential of what they could be. But that's a journey. It's a process. And I think that's part of healthy discipleship is this life on life. You've got permission to make mistakes. You've got permission not to have it all together. You've got permission to swear. You've got permission to just be you. Mm-hmm. But as long as you're open to the sanctification process, yep. you, you are invited to come as you are. Mm. That's that's Jesus's call. Come and I will make you fishers mm. of men. Come as you are, but you don't have permission to stay as you are. Mm. And if you're willing to say yes to I don't have permission to stay as you are, that journey could be as long as short as it could be, hopefully a lifetime. That, I think, is where true discipleship comes in. But that trust is built over time. Mm -hmm. It's not built 12 months. How many times have you been in a small group with a person you thoroughly dislike? (laughs) Many. I just hope none of my current small group are listening. No, I like you guys. But it's, it's, it's... Sometimes, you know, like you're not created to hang out. Like all of the body doesn't hang out. Your butt and your elbow don't hang out a whole bunch, but they appreciate what other people do, right? (laughs) Yep. They serve the hand that works with the butt. (laughs) Stop it. I'm just, you know, we keep on using the body as an analogy and we just figure all parts need to hang out together all the time, you know, and they don't. So, <laughs> you're just so troubled by this. Just an introvert. Um, <laughs> no, look, it's good. And I think all of this, um, I, I think if this deconstruction um, process uh, or deconstruction of the church leads to a, uh, a rejection of God, I would just push back on that and go, and, and you've said it in different ways. Part of me validates complete well no i completely validate the hurt when our institutions fail us yes it hurts at the same time you know and i'm hearing it from you and i will say it myself when institutions do disappoint us it's another opportunity to go oh god kind of told me to expect this like we live in a fallen world institutions will fail us yeah because institutions are being led by people and so i guess to put it succinctly don't confuse the faithlessness of man for a potential faithlessness of God. They're, they're not the same thing. And, and when when man fails us, which he will, let it be an opportunity to come back to the feet of Jesus who's always been faithful over you. Like I, I, it just grieves me that, that all of this church deconstruction leaves people without Jesus. And I just don't want that to be the case. I, I get why it is. I get why it's a natural response. I really do. And that's why, you know, leaders and teachers are going to be judged more harshly because there are consequences from that. But if you, if like, it's, I don't even think it's faithlessness. Like if Brian Houston's in heaven, man, Mark Driscoll's going to heaven. No, I don't mean, I don't mean in a salvation. Ravi, Zachariah, they just sucked as leaders. And that's what I mean by faithless. I'm not saying like (laughs) saving faithfulness. I'm saying they've, they've stewarded their leadership poorly. Yeah. Um, they sucked at it. They sucked at it. Uh, well, no, to be fair, a lot of what they did was probably get the good. the sun off your face, man. Sure. You've just like lit up. Oh, no, it's angelic. Like a, it's a Christmas tree. No, no, you're preaching now. Yeah. Go for it. All yeah. right. No, go. look, it's uh, just don't, don't, if you're listening, just, 
be careful not to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Validate the hurt. Go through the process you need to go. But at a certain point, you need to differentiate the the imperfection of leaders and the perfection of Christ is what I'm trying to say. Amen. And in fact, the imperfection of leaders points you back towards the perfection of Christ. Yeah. Can I add to that that I just don't think you're meant to be monastic. Not not meant to be a monk in solitude, though. So why do you say that? Well, because I feel like oh, because you're going to have to open yourself up to community again. Yeah. So 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 someone hears that and goes, "Amen." That's why I am a nomad Got and you. I don't go to church <clears throat> and I don't have fellowship with any other Christians. It, is yep. that I think that that Christ specifically says where two or three are gathered, yep. I am there, that um, Psalm 133, how great and pleasant is it when brothers, insert sisters, dwell together in unity, dwell together in unity. Um, do not let us give up on meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, mm. is it's a city of God, our destination. Mm. And for all the introverts out there, hear me, you are going to be surrounded by people in heaven. Mm. That is who Jesus has been redeeming. They're just not going to be jerks. <laughs> I think some of them might be <laughs> No, I compl- challenging to get along with. Thank, thank you for nuancing that. I completely agree. And, so, so, and, yeah, what I was saying was not to say isolate yourself from community, 100% with you. Well, then you're only doing the first command. Like yeah. let's say you did that perfectly yeah. and you could love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your spirit, you're only 50% of the way there Mm -hmm. because the very next thing is to love your neighbour as yourself, which immediately puts you in community. Mm -hmm. And and I think for a lot of us that's the hardest thing. I've been hurt previously, but for you to love again Mm. means sacrifice and you have to be willing to get hurt. Mm. I'm sorry. Mm. Okay. There's deconstruction. Sorted. Sorted. (laughs) We've graduated. We are reconstructed. We are. Jump on the Discord server if you've got any feedback or thoughts or if we've made a mistake again, just let us know. And use the Discord if you are hurting as well and you do just need to ask a question. Like I've, I've been hurt before and yeah. it, it at the risk of sounding something obvious, it hurts, right? Yeah. So it's not that it doesn't hurt. It's that how do, we, how do we help one another deconstruct in order to reconstruct? It's not yeah. just deconstruction for the sake of it and ending up with nothing without a tether and without an anchor. We out of deconstruction can come beautiful reconstruction if we keep our eyes fixed on Christ the whole time. Amen. Get on it. All right. Links in the uh, bio for this. We'll catch you again next week. (laughs)